Let's turn in our Bible tonight, the Bible readings from the book of Acts. We're commencing at Acts chapter 13. We're going to read in verse 44. Acts chapter 13, verse 44. Let's hear the word of God. The words will come up on screen for all here online. Acts 13, 44. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But then the Jews saw that the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing ye put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them, and came unto Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time therefore abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided and part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it and fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and unto the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. Now my text tonight is found in Acts chapter 14, and the verse 4. And it reads, But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews, and part with the apostles. Now I've entitled this message tonight, Biblical Laws Regarding Religious Division. Now the word division is used in the Bible 22 times. Here's the first reference. Exodus 8, verse 23. And I will put a division between my people and thy people. God was speaking through Moses to Pharaoh. 
This division, of course, is rooted in God's sovereign free choice. It goes all the way back to eternity, to the counsel of redemption between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The reality is that there has to be our division among God's dear people in contrast to those who do not belong to the Lord. The last reference to division is 1 Corinthians 11, verse 18. First of all, Paul says, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. And isn't it sad that the last reference has to do with a division among those that are in the place where God has to do with worship? Now, in addition to these 22 references, there's a further 66 references that use the verb divided. And Acts 14, verse 4, is one such reference. The multitude of the city of Iconium was divided, part held with the Jews, unbelieving Jews, part held with the apostles, believing men of God. Now, tonight, if we were to go back, say, 40 years in Northern Ireland, division was a dirty word, almost a forbidden word. A word that was frowned upon. Ungodly men did not want to hear about things that divide one man from another, especially to do with religious truth. And still to this day, there is a degree of preoccupation of ungodly men, of the things that unite individuals, rather than having a call to put away anything and everything that brings conflict, breeds separation and division. And you see, this mindset is very prevalent in the religious world of Northern Ireland. Throughout the whole rest of the United Kingdom, you've got to think of the work of the ecumenical movement, the charismatic movement, and this push for a one-world church that's already begun to roll out. Yet the principle of division... Things that divide us is a very real part of true Christian experience. And this principle, as I've said, was laid down in the first law of reference by the Lord from all eternity. We ignore that religious division at our peril. Yet today, we must confess that there is a a growing alarm at the polarization of political parties and people in 2023. You see, there's a spirit abroad that is what I'm going to call effective polarization. You have people on the left, you have people on the right, and at their heart, they're angry at everything and anything. So much so that Political divisions have become tribal. Different sections of community with a diverse set of opinions, views and loyalties, they have stopped speaking to each other. In fact, they've gone even further. They've started fighting with each other. And voices today about how division is taking place in the United States of America and the United Kingdom, division between liberals and conservatives, those on the left, those on the right, that has become such an intensifying force, it's in danger of tearing 
democracy apart itself. You take out our day, remain versus leave. The whole Brexit referendum, the independence referendum in Scotland, the dreaded draconian lockdowns that were imposed by the government, the hated protocol for Northern Ireland, the party gate scandal of Boris Johnson. He even ticked the book Spare by Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Add into the mix then views and opinions on abortion, transgenderism, LGBT community, and many other moral issues. And you see, these issues and a thousand more, they're dividing cities, they're dividing families, and they're even dividing churches. We are facing today great, effective polarization on a political level that we have never, ever had to face before. And yet in the first century, there was a spirit of polarization, a spirit of division in cities like Antioch and Syria, Perga in Pamphylia, on the mainland Turkey, um, northwest of Cyprus, and also in Iconium, south of Turkey. You see, conflict and controversy was never far away, especially for the men of God, preachers of the gospel, who came forth preaching and mentioning the name of Jesus Christ and presenting the gospel of true saving faith. And what was true in the first century, folks, is true in our day and generation. It's the same right up to this present age. And it will continue right up to the time that the Lord Jesus returns in power and glory to set up his everlasting kingdom. It's only then he will put his enemies under his footstool. And even in the final days of Antichrist, Antichrist is going to make war with the saints. And he's going to overcome them. Revelation 13 and 7. And if you want to know what's going to happen in the future, thousands upon thousands of God's dear people will be martyred. And they'll get a martyr's crown. And to this day, and I just don't have all the evidence, but to this day, in certain parts of the world, thousands are being martyred and put to, cry, put to death for Christ and his cause. I want us to think about biblical laws regarding religious division. Three things this evening. Think about the cause of religious division. If we look at the text, it says, but the multitude of the city was divided. You see, few people today want or enjoy conflict and division and controversy. Most people love peace. Most people want to live a peaceable and a quiet kind of life. And they hate confrontation and they, they, they avoid controversy. Let, let me illustrate. Suppose an individual has got a problem family member or a friend. They're doing something that you know and they know to be wrong. And you want to talk to them. But here's what we do. We hold back. Perhaps we pray. Perhaps we wait until the Lord leads us. Why? Because in our mind we fear a bad reaction. We fear that the counsel and advice we give is going to be rejected and reproved. And we're afraid of that individual family member or friend telling us, how dare you say that to me? 
Um, how dare you accuse me of doing something that's wrong and sinful? Let me illustrate another way. Here's an individual family member and friend and they're not saved. And yet you're afraid to bring up the subject of their individual salvation. Why? Because you know they're not going to respond well. You know they're going to blow their top. And you know that you don't want to create conflict and division. And of course at the back of this fear is, is the devil. Because the devil is blinded the eyes of those that believe not. And the devil knows that they're dead and trespasses and sin and don't have a love for the Lord and are diseased in their affections. And they feel the pull and lure of the world. And, and how many are afraid of being left out? Afraid of being ostracized? Afraid of being blacklisted? And isn't that what's happening today all over society? In, in the newscaster's room? In the education authority in the classroom, in the workplace. You only have to listen last week to the treatment of that um, clinical psychologist, Jordan Peterson, from Canada. See, he's been ostracized and blacklisted because of the things that he's saying. See, the moment tonight, listen to me as a Christian, that you confess Christ, the moment that you confront sin, the moment you call for repentance and faith, you're going to face opposition. In the world, you shall have tribulation, Jesus said. You're going to face conflict. And that conflict will be in, among, in your family. That conflict and division will be among your friends. And it will even be among your foes as well. You see, when you try to speak the truth in love, when you try to be gracious and sensitive and kind and true to the blood in the book, what are you going to discover? You're going to discover this. And here's the cause of this religious division. That there's an inherently divisive quality in the gospel. You see, the gospel is good news. But however, it's good news that divides. There's an inherently divisive quality in the gospel. And the more people react to the gospel then that inherent division is seen. Suppose someone rejoice at the good news of the gospel. Someone recoil from it. Someone receive that message with gladness. Others are rejected with disdain. Some will believe the message and, and some like these Jews will contradict it and blaspheme. That was true about Paul and Barnabas. They were faithful gospel preachers. But division and controversy dogged their heels everywhere they went. Antioch, Perga, Pamphylia, and even in Iconium. And I no doubt they sought to avoid this controversy. And I no doubt they used every legitimate measure to, to wait upon the Lord and, and to speak the truth in love and be full of his spirit. I'm sure that like Paul they were able to say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse um, 32. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of man, that they might be saved. And yet despite that very mindset, not coming to give offense, there's an offense inherently built into the gospel. And when Paul preached, there was such a reaction to his sermon in Poseidon in Antioch that some believed. 
And some blasphemed. Some received the message as the word of the Lord. As a word from God. As a word of his grace. But others reacted in such a way that they stirred up strong opposition. So much so that Paul and Barnabas were put out of that locality and that city and that region. The same thing happened in the next town. And that's what we're reading about there in Acts chapter 14 and verse 4. But the multitude of the city was divided and part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. Now, why proclaim such a message that's inherently divisive? Here's the answer. Because the gospel is God's message. The gospel starts with God. The gospel didn't originate with clever men. Religious men. Men didn't think up the gospel. Men didn't think, how can sinful men be reconciled to God? Universally, men have risen up and brought up their own gospel. But they've risen up in defiance of God and his gospel. Except where God and grace worked upon these men and gave them a new heart and just repentance and faith and a turning to trusting in Christ alone for salvation. You take, for example, all the world's religions tonight. Where did they originate with? God or men? They originated with men. Clever men. Religious men. But it's all a, a system of human works to bring them into a right relationship with God. Study Buddhism. Study Hinduism. Islam. Judaism. Roman Catholicism. Mormonism. Jehovah Witnessism. Every other false cult. They have one thing in common. It's a system of human works to bring them into a right relationship with God. And it's rooted in their rotten sinful pride. And it brings them glory to themselves. It also might bring them money. But they all teach that salvation is by human merit. It's a works-based religion. And the gospel is not only God's message, but the gospel is the absolute truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. The gospel is good news to all who repent and believe that word because they receive the gift of everlasting life. And the gospel is good news in that sense that it warns all who refuse to repent and believe the gospel that one day they'll die and one day they'll face the judgment. And the call of the gospel is fear not them which can kill the soul, but rather fear him that is part or through both body and soul into hell. You see, the gospel is a message that chiefly and supremely has one aim, and that is to bring glory and honor to God. It's not just to make men happy. It's not even to make men holy, although that's uh, part of the whole uh, gospel gambit. But, but the chief supreme aim is to bring honor to God. God's message that centers in the person and work of Christ. And it's the preaching of Christ that's inherently divisive. Do you know that in John 7, 42, it says there was a division among the people because of him? Ten thousands and more religious Jews were in the city of Jerusalem on the uh, feast of the Passover. And there was uproar and upheaval in the city. Why? Because of him. Because of his coming into the world. Because of the message that he brought. And not only all of Jerusalem among the religious Jews, but all of the soldiers. And you think of what they did to him. Gabbatha, Golgotha, Gethsemane. How they eventually put him in trial. Stripping him of his garments, scourging him, spitting in him, smiting him. But what was going on? 
there was a division among the people because of him. And over there in Luke chapter 12 and in the verse 51, we read these words. Suppose ye that I am come to give peace in the earth. I tell you nay, but rather division. Why division? Because Christ in and of himself, while he's the prince of peace, while he's king of kings and lord of lords, it's people's reaction to Christ that's causing that division. You also think of after the days of the apostles, did you know there was 10 periods of intense persecution that engulfed the early church, AD 90 to um, 300 odd AD? Even though the apostles had turned the known world upside down and they had faithfully preached the personal work of Jesus Christ and they knew that that message will offend some men and stir up opposition with others, yet they kept faithfully preaching. 12th, 13th, 14th century, we could spend time talking about the Waldensians, we could talk about the, the Abagenses, we could talk about the, the French Huguenots. We could come to the 15th century and Martin Luther. Wasn't he bitterly opposed as he rediscovered the gospel, doctrine of justification by faith? Wasn't he taken captive by his friends after the Diet of Worms, spent a year in Wartburg Castle for his own good, and there he translated the German Bible into the German language. Think of 1588, the Spanish Armada, sent by Spain to what? To, to crush the Reformation in Britain. We could think about the Williamite settlement of 1690. And that brought about its own divisions, especially here in Ireland. We think about the 1859 revival. And, and that came about on the very year that the origin of the species was introduced by Charles Darwin, as if it was God's answer to that. You think of the higher criticism movement in the 1900s. You think of today. And the battering that the church is taking with all the moral relativism that's going on, the, the hedonistic mindset, the, the addition of, of abortion and demand and the LGBT community and the liberal politics on the left and gambling laws and drink laws and, and, and legalization of certain uh, drugs. You see, here's the gospel in the mix of all that. And as Christ is preached and the gospel is presented, that gospel is inherently divisive because that gospel message is contrary to man's opinion. That gospel message hurts man's pride in himself. That gospel message hurts man's pride because he's full of his own self-righteousness and full of his own works-based religion. The cause of the gospel. You see, the gospel's different. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The gospel humbles the proud heart. The gospel brings us together in a spirit of levelness as far as the dirt and the dust is concerned. It takes away a works-based religion. It attributes salvation to God alone. It's all of God and all of grace. Every one of us say, I am and I have and I can do nothing to recommend me to God. And how many tonight do not understand the gospel? Hearing just recently about a preacher and he was speaking to a Lutheran man who happened to be a deacon in his particular church, going to church from as a child in Germany. He wanted to be a better person when asked why he was going to church. I want to do my best to keep the law. 
I, I, I love coming here to, to worship God. And then when he was told about what Martin Luther did before 1517, and was told, you're no better than Martin Luther. You see, God's law condemned Luther. God's law taught Luther he was a sinner. God's law taught him that he couldn't in himself keep it perfectly because God required a perfect righteousness. God required absolute sinlessness. And Luther was asked, can you keep the law of God perfectly sinless? And he had to confess he didn't. And then he discovered that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to guilty, penitent sinners by faith. Because we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, For he that is God hath made him that is Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. There's the cause of religious division. I want you to think secondly and very quickly here, the consequence of religious division, because you see this religious division cuts deeply in families and communities. We're reading here in Acts 14 verse about the multitude of the city was divided. Uh, turn over there to Luke chapter 12 and look with me at um, verse 52 and verse 53. Luke chapter 12, verse 52, 53. It's in this context. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son and the son against the father, the mother against the daughter and the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Well, what's all that about? Five in one house and three on one side and two on the other side and they're, they're divided. There's a religious divide. See, the answer is three have embraced the gospel. They've received it. And the other two have rejected it. And you take a father who's embraced the gospel. And the son rejects the gospel. Father and son are very close. And then the gospel light and gospel truth comes in. And there's a division amongst them. It's as if the family has been cut in two. Because the son has become bitterly opposed to the gospel. And the impact the gospel has on family life. And is not true to this day. Years ago, it was drink and drugs. Now we have to add in LGBT and gender issues and so on and so forth. I told a story of a young man who went to um, bed one evening. He went to bed early and there was a knock at the door and there was a visit to the home. And uh, it was his uncle. And his uncle brought an evangelist into the house. And the evangelist started speaking to mummy and daddy about the gospel. And the young man got very upset and very defensive. He climbed out the window and he ran all the way to Granny's house and said, there's a mad religious lunatic in our house, Granny and Granda. You've got to come and get him out. He's trying to convert the family. And of course, when Granny and Granda came along with him to see who the evangelist was, glory to God, the whole family got converted before midnight. And what a celebration there was in that particular home. If you think about this, not only is there vicious words against the gospel in the context of a family member getting saved and not, but some divisions are so deep that it breeds heartache and grief, strife and violence. This is more than just a, a, a philosophical difference. The division can be so awful that father and son and brother 
can see to it that each other is put to death. Imagine willing to cause the death of your son because he loves Jesus Christ and the gospel. Imagine willing to cause the death of your father, your mother, your brother because they love Jesus Christ and the gospel and you're totally opposed to them. So much so that you'll betray your father or betray your son. See, you think of what happened in the first, second, and third centuries of those 10 periods of persecution. There's plenty of evidence. People were put into boiling pots of oil. People were burnt at the stake, roasted over the fire of coals, fed to wild animals, melted. Lead was poured down their throats. Some were covered in pitch and used in human torches. Some were forced to fight the gladiators. You see, God's people, from the day dot, have faced for the sake of Christ betrayal and hatred even to the point of a cruel death. And I want to say tonight, if you take a stand for Christ in the home, in the workplace, in the school, the university, you, you name sin, you have a love for righteousness and love for Christ and refuse to deny him and refuse to disown him and refuse to desert him, you're going to face that opposition. That will be a consequence of this religious division. It cuts deep right into families. It cuts deep into communities. There's a story told about a little family who had a lion cub for a pet. Don't think they lived in Belfast. But when the lion got big, a bigger cub, not a full-grown lion, one day the lion cub was licking the wee fella's hand. And the tongue was so razor sharp that as it licked the wee fella's hand, it drew blood. And it was no longer safe. Because the moment it got the taste of the blood, that lion cub had become a very dangerous animal. And what is true in that sense is true in the sense of the gospel. The innocent, wholly motivated, in love for Christ, apostles, they struck to the gospel. They didn't try to water down. They didn't try to change it. And yet, they faced this opposition in families and in communities. But one final thing. Think of the council of religious division. I, I was thinking of what the apostles did and what advice we can have to learn from them. And it would be this. Keep calm and look to Christ and carry on. You see, they, they were told to expect divisions. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And they knew that it was dangerous to take the offense out of the gospel. And they knew that it would be wrong to go down a safe word and have a very palatable message without sin, repentance, without heaven and hell, without Christ. They knew they, that would destroy and dilute the gospel. So for the sake of the gospel in Christ, they expected division. They knew the gospel would come into conflict with all kinds of sinners, religious sinners, reckless sinners, and righteous sinners. And yet, not only did they expect division, but they set before them, I believe, the example of Christ. You see, why did these religious people oppose the gospel? Because they wanted a ground for boasting. They, they wanted their sinful pride. They wanted a, a, 
status of being religious without being regenerate so they could live in sin and enjoy sin. They opposed the gospel because the gospel really opposed them in their life. And men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. And yet all the while the holy apostles kept their eyes on Christ. Was Christ not the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief? If you turn over there to Luke chapter 12, he says in verse 49, I'm come to send fire in the earth. And what will I, if it be already kindled? But I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how am I straightened till it be accomplished? Suppose ye, I'm come to give peace in the earth. I tell you, nay, but rather division. You see, what was Christ saying there? By my presence into the world, by my presentation of myself through my holy apostles, I'm going to light a fire in this earth. It's already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, none to do with water. This is a baptism of suffering. And he was plunged into sorrow. He, he was pressed into that. He, he, he was plunged into suffering. He, he was held fast by that mindset to, to set his face to go to Jerusalem. He was fully aware of the suffering that would await him whenever he got to um, that unjust trial, the, the shame, the, the, the separation from God, the scourging, the spitting, the abuse that was hurled a, a, upon him. They kept in mind his example. And they carried on. And if you want to work for Christ, and you want to walk with Christ, and be a witness for Christ, you've got to be ready to bear such abuse. Seek to avoid confrontation. Seek to preserve your life where that is important. But be faithful to Christ. And as he suffered in the world, we have been called to a life of suffering and we will face and it's going to intensify tribulation and opposition in the world. The city of Iconium was divided because of the gospel. The consequence was it impacted that whole community and families. And here's the counsel of the apostles. They looked to Christ and carried on. They expected this. They had him as their example. And they executed that work and witness for Christ as faithfully as they could. How do I know that? Look at Acts chapter 14, verse 5. Or verse 7. And there they preached the gospel. There they preached the gospel. And that's what we've got to do in our families and beyond. Be faithful to the gospel. 